Welcome to The Undercover Elephant, a podcast about scaling and optimizing your PHP applications produced by Tideways. Each week, Benjamin Eberlei and Matthew Setter sit down with an expert from the PHP community to discuss a specific aspect of highly performant PHP applications. Whether you're a lone developer or part of a larger team, if you want to develop fast and reliable PHP applications, then this, my friend, is the podcast for you. All right, let's get started. In this episode, my friend, we are going to be talking with Arnie Blankets from the PHPCC about tuning PHP FPM. As always, you can find an article about the topic at tideways.com forward slash podcast forward slash eight, as well as in the show notes. Hey, Anne, where are you calling from today? I'm sitting in Hamburg right now, actually my hometown. So we are going to talk to you today on the podcast um, about the topic PHP FPM. Yep. And um, the reason we invited you is that you gave a talk about this topic with uh, Sebastian Hoyer on uh, different conferences. And um, I believe it's a topic that's quite interesting to a lot of people. And I guess we should start by asking you why PHP FPM? So what is it and why, why should we use it? Okay, so pretty much everybody, um, at least the majority of people that I know, um, started with PHP being a module for the Apache web server, which is probably one of the reasons um, it became popular because that was the standard web server in the days and everybody used it because also all the shared hosting and everybody had it installed so it was easily accessible. The problem with that is, of course, that you initiate um, all the PHP handling and everything, even though you're just going to serve a static file like any asset, image, CSS file, whatever. And at some point, people realized it might be a lot smarter to actually have PHP as a separate process running, ready to do whatever it needs to be doing, only at the point in time where it actually has to do something. So PHP FBM was kind of born as a patch to PHP as a new um, means of executing PHP and well turned out people liked it and since a couple of versions now it's like a standard component of the PHP stack and is at least from our perspective the recommended way of running things because it's most flexible, easily handleable, best scalable and pretty much makes life a lot easier than using Apache module. Okay, so PHP FPM uses the fast CGI protocol. So yes. um, can you explain a little bit what, what that is? Yeah, sure. Well, FastCGI, as the name suggests, is the faster version of the CGI protocols. CGI is the common gateway interface, um, which was invented to be able to execute external processes. But you can imagine if you want to have a high-performance website actually spawning a new process at request time, waiting for it to execute, and then close everything down completely, as in start the binary, and then free up everything from scratch, so to say, for the next request, or redo everything. Um, it's going to be quite slow, so people figured if you pre-spawn the process and have a protocol to communicate over a socket or a network stack, makes things a lot faster. So that's what FastCGI is all about. Okay, so whenever you start seeing people uh, using PHP FPM and hitting some kind of problems, there's a there's sort of a bunch of error messages that <laughs> come up when people usually start looking into how does PHP FPM work um, for for the first time. And one like very important topic that uh, PHP FPM uh, requires you to learn about a little bit is the difference between sort of pool modes um, 
that exist. Um, can you explain us a little bit what um, uh, what this is and why um, yeah why we should look into it? Sure. Well, let's start with how PHP FVM in general works. So there's a master control process, if you will. That's the actual FPM process manager. That's what the FPM stand part stands for. To make sure that you actually have something that can, well, take the request from the web server and then forward it to whatever kind of PHP child process that can actually do the actual work. So for that to, well, be set up and pre-spawned, you actually have to configure a few things on as in how many children you want and how this respawning or adding children should work. And the default thing, of course, is to say we're just going to do everything dynamic. So we're going to make sure it's only like a few pre-spawn things and if we realize we are running out of available children we're just going to add some more up to a certain configured maximum and if we realize we don't need all those children anymore we're just going to remove as many as we can remove before we have to respawn things again and well while that of course does not necessarily impact performance by itself unless you actually have to wait for a process to be spawned it's of course going back and forth with like children and processes running. So that's not necessarily the most optimal thing to do. And in most cases, the default configuration is, well, make sure we're not running too many children because we don't want to overload the CPU or the system in general. And if you have a high traffic website or many PHP processes that are required to do your things, obviously you will run into like the limitations of like, actually there's not any child available. So we have to either wait or tell the client on the other side um, to just yeah try again later because we are out of resources, which is of course not what you want to do for a production website. So there's alternative modes, um, which is um, static and on demand. So the basic difference really is like how many children are you going to pre-spawn and how are you going to handle the case that you need more or that are too many idle. While it makes perfect sense for your like development machine or your local box to have everything dynamically spawned whenever needed because you're not very likely to have that many concurrent requests unless you're going to do a benchmark test or something for a production environment where you have a relatively predictable load um, for most cases at least static is the most optimal setting you can even run benchmarks on that and see what works best for you so you can see which operation mode you should use do you have a rule of thumb for like when you would use each mode i, I guess nothing is ever fixed but do you have sort of broad recommendations for which mode suits broadly which type of application? Or is it not quite that easy to say? It's not that easy to say, actually. Okay. It really depends on yeah how many concurrent requests you need to handle and yeah how long those processes might actually be running before they are available for new requests. So that's basically it depends on your application load. In general, it's, I guess, pretty much comparable to what people do with their memory checks. So you see how much free RAM you have, and everybody's in the day seem to be really happy and proud, like, hey, I have this big fat-ass machine here, and it has, like, I don't know how many gigs of RAM free. Isn't that awesome? If you look at it from today's perspective, it's like, no, it's not. It's, you're wasting power because you have more RAM in that box than that box obviously needs. Mm -hmm. So if you actually have a server, make sure you actually make use of it. So the fact that the child process is idle, well, then so be it. If you are into trying to get performance, make sure you have enough resources available. And if you only need 10 children running to satisfy all the demand, well, awesome, then configure that. But don't set it to like only two and maximum of 10. 
because then if you actually need 10, you have to spawn eight. So it's really like, okay, let's see what the average load is and try to find the optimum. But with so many things in IT, it's something you actually have to figure out for yourself and your environment. Most cases, the static setup is for production environments the most useful. Mm -hmm. So the um, static setting uh, requires you to define a fixed number of processes that are running all the time. Yes. Which essentially leads to the follow-up question, how does this relate to the memory limit of PHP and uh, how does this relate to the number of cores um, that uh, a server has? Do you have sort of a few um, thoughts about how to calibrate that for, for our listeners? Again, it's not that easy to, to estimate in, in general. The basic thing is, let's start with memory. So um, again, it's something you should probably monitor on like the average request that you have and how much memory each process or each request consumes so that you can see, okay, this is the average amount of RAM that I need so that you can say, okay, I have like say 100 concurrent processes. Will that actually all fit in memory? Because obviously from performance perspective, you don't want to end up swapping. So that's the number one thing. So do, do not ever configure more children than you could actually fit in memory. In the amount of concurrent processes, of course, that highly depends on what these processes are doing. If they are calculating heavy things on CPU, obviously one process means one CPU core. If they are talking to databases, external services, or other microservices, or whatever, then there's a lot of I.O. involved, so the processes might be actually spend more of the time waiting. Actually, Rasmus made the joke at one of the conferences I saw him presenting that if you optimize PHP, in many cases, it's just going to wait faster. <laughs> yeah. So again, if you have a very I.O. bound application, then having more concurrent processes will not be a problem because the individual processes are going to spend their time waiting. If you have a very CPUs heavy application, then obviously you might end up at the very worst case one child per core. Yeah, but uh, I believe that's a really good uh, way of thinking about it. A lot of the blog posts I read about PHP FBM tuning make this a sort of very hard rule that uh, you shouldn't set the limit of um, workers or processes higher than the number of cores, which I find quite fascinating because um, we ourselves, for example, run with uh, about, I think, 50 or 70, something like this. Uh, uh, static children uh, pre-spawned and um, we actually hit them sometimes because of uh, load spikes but um, since they are writing a lot of stuff into queues and reading from caches and databases we don't really see a very big hit uh, from this so um, I was always wondering why um, people would recommend the workers to be set to low so uh, such a low limit because from my experience it doesn't uh, harm setting it much higher. Well, I can only imagine that it's because of people assuming that PHP is doing stuff on the CPU and completely ignoring the fact that I.O. will actually make the process wait until the I.O. is completed. Yeah, there's a lot of I.O. involved in PHP, like the whole autoloading part, for example, hits uh, different things in I.O. Uh, even if it looks like this is actually PHP processing, in most cases it's still some kind of file I.O. or weird I.O. happening there. Yeah, yeah. everything is I.O. Every file access, every network access, that's all I.O. And of course, that will take time, even though with SSDs and everything, this has become a lot faster. 
still it's I.O. and still it takes time and the process is going to wait. Within that time frame, some other process will take over the CPU core, at least in modern multitasking environments that is. That's okay. how actually the cloud works. Otherwise, that wouldn't even work on the cloud because they wouldn't have the CPU cores available for all the stuff they do. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Okay, so PHP FBM also has a feature that is different than Apache in, in some ways, is that um, it has this concept of pools and that you can define uh, different pools. Can you explain this a little bit and what uh, use case might be for this? Um, yeah, pools are logical subunits, if you will, of a FBM process. So it's important to realize that is basically having a different INI setting um, for various things per pool. But of course, you cannot change fundamental things. So you cannot say, I'm going to unload an extension in one pool or add an extension in the other. It's either all pools have that extension or none. Other than that, you can configure a lot of things like memory usage, everything that's basically soft settings. You can change error reporting or general behavior things, runtime limits, whatever kind of things in the environment you want to have can be configured and changed. So you can enable or disable features in terms of functions, like you have the blacklist for, for functions, you can change um, session configuration. So if you actually have to run different things with different users, a, a child process can be a different user, so you can configure different things in that regard. So it allows for a lot of flexibility, but it's not as far as one would potentially expect or wish for. Would it make sense to use sort of like multiple pools for the same application if there were sort of different kind of different needs or different user types, such as you had, I don't know, like a, a CMS, for example, and you had an admin user and it wasn't going to be particularly high load, but then you had your, your, your shopper and there could be a lot of browsing and a, I guess hopefully a lot of purchasing. Would it make sense to combine different sort of pool types within an application? Yes, certainly. Um, not necessarily sure that example is the best because that might also lead to different extensions being required. Like in the CMS administrative tool, you might use the GD library for graphic stuff that mm -hmm. the live site wouldn't need. So maybe then having different stacks to begin with, as in two different instances of FPM, would even be better. Mm -hmm. But of course, for configuring things like saying the administrative stack requires more memory and longer runtimes because obviously publishing things, rendering graphics might take more time, but saying like the shop platform front end thing um, will require um, quick responses from um, for customers to be actually staying on the site. So you can basically reduce the runtime and memory limit to like very small things and with that even ensure the stability of your platform. So if you have any kind of script that's misbehaving, in worst case, it's gonna run like two seconds or whatever you need as the maximum time for a front-end script to continue to finish rather than like 30 seconds or longer. So. Okay, yeah. In your talk, you also mentioned using pools for different uh, versions of an application. So um, what, what would be a use case for this? Or can you explain why uh, would you, uh, you do that? Yeah, the reasoning behind that was that um, many people try to deploy with all kinds of weird mechanisms that in most cases, or in many cases at least, uh, include having some links for the current version, whatever that would point to, which leads That's to very way we do it, which <laughs> leads to very interesting problems unless you actually restart um, the FPM process because um, PHP has the um, real pass cache, which will lead to very interesting um, and pretty much undebuggable errors because if you change the symlink in like while the request is running or while PHP is busy, 
in general. Um, you might end up having some files being loaded from the old place, from the old directory where the symlink used to point to, because the real pass cache stored the result of this symlink resolution and um, have some scripts loaded from the new thing if either the cache entry expired or the file hasn't been loaded to begin with. And of course, those scripts may or may not work together in combination. So if you try to get like an error message from that system and then try to understand why it failed and try to refresh it on your system, where of course the whole environment is completely different, you're never ever going to find that issue. So symlinks are potentially dangerous. And what we did um, with various of our clients is saying, okay, if you're going to create a new new version to, de to deploy, you're just going to also add a new pool for that with its own socket for that particular version, and then tell the load balancing front end, for example, Nginx or any other load balancer mechanism up front, that for all new requests, please go to um, this alternative pool. Okay, yeah. Um, do, do you know if... Uh, PHP FPM pools share the opcache or is it separate between or the real pass cache uh, from your answer before I assume is now uh, different for different pools or um, shared I don't know do you know it, that well I'm not fully sure but I would assume it's shared because it's the master process of the FPM um, is owning the opcache so it should be shared Okay, so every pool, um, the pools don't each have their own master process, but there's one master process. Yeah, okay. that's why yeah. I said that you might actually have to have a separate FPM process running with its local pool. So it's even one level more that you have a different control process, which actually makes a lot of sense, even for like con concurrent versions of things, so that you have individual control, you can shut down things without actually reloading the full thing. Okay, mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, so let's say you have your PHP FPM configured and everything uh, is running smoothly or not. How would you look into if uh, PHP FPM, if it's behaving correctly, what um, other ways to sort of um, get at metrics, at log files, and um, what would you be looking for? Well, one thing obviously would be to install a typeface extension, I guess. But apart from that, um, you can ask FPM for status as well. By default, that's disabled, but they do have a status page, which you can configure whatever URL you want. I think the default is status, but I'm not really sure. Um, and you can configure it in various formats. You can get it in human-readable HTML, or you can say, I want to have it as a JSON in like a small or full version, so you get a lot of process information and can see how the actual load is in, from the perspective of PHP FPM, which I guess is really helpful to see what's actually currently happening. And of course, looking at the log files, see where stuff is breaking, what error messages you might get would be important. You can also um, enable a slow log, which basically is the same as you might know from um, MySQL, where you can say, okay, everything that's taking longer than X seconds, milliseconds, whatever, um, please log it so we can have a look at it, why that might have taken too long. Okay, so um, I know the status page also includes sort of this very typical error message max children reached, which uh, PHP FPM puts into log files uh, when there's too much load on everything. So um, uh, we are tracking this variable to see if, uh, we, um, yeah, if, if requests are getting shut down by Engine uh, and, and Nginx seeing the I believe 503 page in this case is rendered. 
um, yeah. when uh, when PHP FBM says uh, I can't handle it anymore. Yeah. Yeah. When there's no child available and the backlog is full. It's just something that's like a little bit different. Are there any interesting sort of weird and wonderful use cases that you've come across that you could share? I appreciate you know, client things have to remain confident, but the, but the inter interesting sort of stories from the field that come to mind that you know might be interesting to share. Well, I think one of the unexpected things is that when you want to go into high-performance things, you need to have um, scalability in mind on various levels. And the default settings hardly ever uh, apply to that for obvious reasons. But um, quite some things are, even if you tweak them, causing new problems to arise. For example, one of the things that many people have enabled by default because that's the default setting is that the opcache will check the file, whether or not it changed, so that the actual opcache entry is up to date, which of course makes IO happen again, which you don't necessarily want. But if you disable that, then there's literally no way to actually clean the opcache anymore because for whatever reason, the PHP core developers decided not to implement a functionality for that. So the only way to actually get stuff out of the opcache then is by restarting PHP, which is weird because it, of course, causes interesting problems with like running processes and stuff like that. So that's why we keep telling people that even though the default settings and the default setup, if you install it from a package, for example, will only install one service file or systemd configuration, just copy that and make a second process so that you can swap between the two things. And if you create a new version, then have a dedicated process with its own opcache, then switch back and forth, like basically an AB deploy, mm -hmm. which makes a lot of things easier. But of course, also requires, if you want to have that on different machines, even for scalability reasons, then you need to address where you store sessions, if you want to have sticky sessions. And a friend of mine said, like, if you like pain, you're going to make sticky sessions. <laughs> um, I can understand that very well from, like, well, reliability perspective, because if you have a sticky session and that particular server dies for whatever reason, then, of course, your session and all the users on that particular server are basically doomed. So you don't want that, so try to refrain from that. So you need now a shared mechanism to store sessions. And probably if you look into the PHP manual, you would even notice that. But there's a big fat box saying, do not ever, as in really ever, think about using NFS for a stored session mechanism. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> still, sometimes people try to do that and then wonder why stuff doesn't work. <laughs> Fair enough. At this point, we're coming around to about the... Like the, the latter bit of the podcast. Um, do we want to continue or should we start to wind up? I think there's one interesting bit uh, I saw in the talk about PHP FPM usage that you added at the end. Yeah, can you explain a little bit uh, about some maybe the unknown features of PHP FPM that are interesting to use? Unknown features? Um, yeah, the file upload thing. Ah, that's actually more of an Nginx feature um, in that regard. The thing is that if you use um, PHPFPM, the likelihood of not using Apache as a web server in front of it is getting higher and higher. And if you have Nginx as a most common alternative to Apache in place, then you can make a lot of cool things in combination with Nginx. Yeah, make your life a lot easier. One thing is that Nginx has a feature to strip the uh, request body 
which is really cool if you, for example, have your own custom upload mechanism and have to deal with large files. For, for example, if you're like a photo upload site or have like whatever file images, movies, whatever kind of things that are potentially large, and you don't want PHP to actually be bothered with getting this big file just to store it at some other place, um, then you can configure Nginx to, well, cut the request body off and store it into whatever kind of file. It's configurable how to store that and just um, have the file name that uh, that Nginx used um, be sent along in a custom header or variable, wherever you want to put it, so that the PHP process then can, well, either just remember the path or store it somewhere else without actually reading the file itself, which is, I think, quite practical also in terms of like waiting times because you don't actually have to yeah, wait a lot on things. And if you, um, on the other hand, have to save or not save, send out that file, you can, of course, put it in a spot where um, it would be reachable from the outside, but that's usually not necessarily smart if you also uploaded it because for security reasons. So you want to have PHP decide whether or not that file should be served. Um, then you can use um, xacl redirect, which is a custom header from Nginx and by now many other web servers where you can tell um, without actually sending the file itself, just telling in this case Nginx where the file can be found locally on the server that Nginx has uh, file access to and then send that particular file with all the appropriate headers. But PHP made the decision whether or not that file could be served. I think that combo okay, yeah. is very powerful. Yeah, we will um, definitely link the PDF slides from this talk in the show notes so that readers can read up on this. Yeah. All right. Well, at that stage, if we're done, then I'll hand the floor over to yourself, as it were, to if there's something that you would like to draw attention to, if you'd like to plug. Well, since this is um, about PHP and not necessarily marketing for our company, I think one of the coolest things to look into is um, making use of all the powerful things that PHP 7.4 added already and what PHP 8 is going to add. It's probably one of the coolest things if you have an FPM setup that uses even maybe already the AB kind of deploy thing, then you can cut down on IO at runtime a lot by using the new preload feature. So basically, Either come to my presentations, um, if you see, happen to be in Canada in like two weeks or three weeks um, at Confu, I'll give a talk and I think I might even have it at, at the next IPC again. It's the talk topic then? Is it about preloading? Yeah, or? It's, um, the word comes preloaded. Nice. So I think that might be really fun because, I mean, basically we have solved a bunch of the problems with the AB deploy, but it changes a lot because there's literally no I.O. involved anymore at runtime, at least from the PHP's perspective, to get code. Of mm -hmm. course, if your application does I.O., then of course it still does that, but the preloading avoids all yeah, file I.O. to autoload files. And that allows opcache and all the kind of optimizations to actually make sense because you're not going to load that file ever again. Impressive. So that will make things a lot faster. There's even some benchmarks. I'll show them in my presentation. It's impressive that I.O. is so expensive. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Awesome. Well, um, I guess that's us. So uh, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. It has been wonderful to sit and listen to, to all that you've had to share. Well, thanks for having me. And thanks for tuning in. The Undercover Elephant is produced by Tideways, a PHP monitoring, profiling, and exception tracking software company. If you want to know more about anything that you heard during the episode, about a wonderful guest, or about Benjamin and myself, 
check out the show notes in your favorite podcast player. Alternatively, go to undercover-elephant.com. That's undercover-elephant.com. You'll find a link to each episode, which contains show notes for that episode. If you'd like to be a guest on the podcast, or if you know someone who is very knowledgeable in writing highly performant and scalable PHP applications, then email us at podcast at tideways.com. That's podcast at tideways.com. 